Greetings from the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this world and life, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight every crooked path, repent for the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. We've been looking at the basic topic, hearing from God, and in the last few broadcasts or so, we have been looking at why men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. In this broadcast, we want to conclude on all that we've discussed thus far by giving us, as it were, a charge, a charge that will challenge us to seek to listen for the voice of God, to seek to hear the voice of God, to seek to put to practice all that we have heard thus far. A quick reminder of what we've been looking at in the last two or so broadcasts. We had looked essentially at the fundamentals that have to do with why men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. And we broke them down to two basic categories. We spoke of environmental factors and personal factors. Two broadcasts ago, we were looking at the environmental factors and we said these are scarcity of the Word of God. Secondly, we spoke about scarcity of the experience of divine revelation. Uh, thirdly, we spoke of um, the lethargy of church or spiritual leadership. And finally, we spoke of the lack of vision of church or spiritual uh, leadership as being the uh, fundamental reason why men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. And then we, in the last broadcast, we moved on to the personal aspects and the personal reasons we give are three in number. Uh, that we mentioned the fact of spiritual immaturity. Looking at Samuel, of course, as the case study, he was spiritually immature. He was a boy, even though he was ministering unto God. Number two, we, the Bible tells us that Samuel had not yet known the Lord. In other words, we, we, we refer that to mean the lack of intimacy or lack of knowledge of God, lack of intimacy with God. Many people still think that God is nebulous somewhere in the, in the sky. They don't, they don't know that God desires to have relationship one-on-one -on -one with them. And so God is not personal to them. God is just someone they see through the lens or the eyes of a pastor who's preaching in a church. And then thirdly, we, we mentioned the fact that the Bible says that Samuel had not yet been taught the word of God. There is a dearth of teachings in the church of God. And even at that, for you as an individual, one would expect that you would want to take the word of God as a serious matter. It's something that you want to study on a regular basis, on a daily basis, so that you can be acquainted with what God is doing. For all these things that we've mentioned, it is crucial to note that there were certain things operating in the environment in which Samuel grew up at the time. And even though he was spiritually immature, even though he had these environmental factors that mitigated against him hearing the voice of God, it is critical to note that God still spoke to Samuel. He still called him. He was calling him even four times. It was the fourth time that he finally gave the answer and said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that was because Eli had finally now taught him the fact that when you hear the voice next, Thus and thus are you to say. Today, I want to bring to the fore 
the fact that one God is still speaking not that he spoke at one time and is no longer speaking no God is still speaking and what is crucial is that God wants to speak directly to you it is possible that what we are doing here is to encourage you like Eli told Samuel when next to hear the voice say speak Lord for your servant is listening that's what we are here to do. We, we are not here to come and speak to you on behalf of God. Because God wants to communicate with you directly. So God is speaking. But the question is, who is listening? Who is listening? Are you really listening? Are you, have you placed yourself in a position where you can hear when God is speaking? I'll read the environment in which Samuel grew up. And it is possible for us to assume that God is never going to speak on the basis of that kind of an environment because indeed it was such a horrible one. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and I'll be reading from verse 12 to verse 18. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the sack the offering of the Lord but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen effort let's pause here and just look at some things here we're looking at the environment in which Samuel grew up and yet even though God was seemed to be silent for all the atrocities that was taking place Samuel was still ministering and God was interested in Samuel now the first thing I want us to note about the sons of Eli is that they were not just ordinary sons, they were priests. Their father was the high priest and they were priests assisting their father. It's pretty much like having a general overseer and you have ministers or pastors or deacons or reverends or whatever you want to call them ministering to the Lord as it were under the supervision or the authority of general overseer, the general superintendent, the bishop, presiding bishop, senior pastor or whatever nomenclature you have in your various churches. So the sons of Eli were like that. They were ministers ministering or supporting their father in the ministry. Like I said earlier, like a pastor supporting his general overseer. But the Bible makes a, a particular note in the introduction in verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. These were, in fact, the old King James says they were sons of Belial. In other words, we are looking at people who are evil, despicable, abominable. That's who the sons of Eli. The priests were considered that. When you look at today, we have people like this in our churches. They support, they assist 
the, the senior pastor, the general overseer, the general superintendent. And can you imagine God saying that these ministers are sons of Belial? These ministers are corrupt. These ministers are evil. These ministers are abominable. But it is true that we have such people today. And you might be growing, developing as a young believer in such a ministry, in such a church. Where somebody would stand and say, Thus says the Lord, and everything he is saying is not of God in the slightest, but is out of his belly. He's speaking from what is taking place in his belly. The second thing that the Bible knows about the sons of Eli, the priests at the time, the pastors of today, is that they did not know the Lord. It is true that Samuel did not know the Lord, but the people who were before Samuel, the priests whom Samuel would have looked up to for direction, they themselves did not know the Lord. Again, like I said, when we refer to our, our generation, there are many people who are engaged in ministry who have no inkling about who God is, about what God can do. And I'm not talking of miracles. I am talking of the other part of God, the severity of God. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Many people think of God as just Father Christmas who doles out things. They don't understand that God is a God of judgment. Can you imagine Adam and Eve in the garden? And God telling them that on the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Because they didn't even understand or appreciate that God could really do that. And so when Satan came and said, don't worry, that will not happen. They believed Satan. There are many people like that. They act as though God does not exist. They act actually without the knowledge of God. Which is why we read earlier, sometime back in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, where God said, do not boast in the fact that you are rich. Do not boast in the fact that you are powerful. Do not boast in the fact that you are intelligent or you are a, a man of repute and so on and so forth. If you are going to boast in anything at all, boast in this, that you know and understand God. That is a God of justice or judgment. That is a God who delights in showing mercy, in faith and so on and so forth. That it is this knowledge that pleases God. Why? Because you would know how to behave yourself. Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I think by the time you get to, uh, is it verse 14 or verse 15 or so, he said to Timothy, I am writing these things on who a bishop should be, on who a deacon should be, so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. People don't know God, and yet they are involved in ministry. And like we looked at the last podcast, if you don't know the one you are serving, how can you truly serve him acceptably? The sons of Eli did not know God. They had no intimacy. I'm not just talking of head knowledge. I'm speaking of personal interaction, personal intimacy with God. They didn't have it. And yet they were involved in ministry. If we continue in verse 30, it says, And the priest custom, the custom of the priest was to go there and just take whatever they wanted to take. They just took from people. There was no care for God. No concern for what God had said. Their life, the, the life they were living was totally contrary to the word of God. And these people say that they are serving God. We find that a lot today. So many people involved in ministry, living contrary to God. Just look at the banners. Look at how they themselves are presenting themselves. Look at how their wives are presenting themselves. And you'll be wondering if this is ministry. Ministry is beyond banners. Ministry is beyond coming to look pretty on billboards. Ministry is about you doing what God asks you to do. Indeed, in ministry, you minister first and foremost to God. It is God who now tells you who and how to minister to whoever you are going to minister to. The Bible tells us 
that they just went and took things as they, as they desired. They did not obey God's word. They just did as they liked. And because God kept quiet, they thought it was okay. There are many things taking place around today in the world, in the Christendom in the world. And people continue to live as they are living because God seems to be silent. Because God is not saying anything. So they think that it is okay. That oh, don't worry, nothing can happen. And yet, God desires to do what he wants to do. In fact, when he spoke to Samuel, when he, if, you, if you read chapter 3 to the end, you will see that he told Samuel, I want, I'm going to do something. When people hear it, their ears will tingle. God is preparing to do some things in, in the world today. Our ears will tingle when we hear what God is going to do. I pray that we will not be on the wrong side of the consuming fire. Because we know you can be on the right side of the consuming fire. For example, when the bush was burning, when God called Moses. Moses saw that there was a fire, but the bush was not burning. So you can actually be enveloped by the fire of God and yet not be consumed by the fire of God. And on the other hand, you can even come try to come near the fire and you are consumed by that fire. We want to be on the right side. We want to be on the side where the fire is burning and it doesn't consume. And for you to be on that side, holiness must be your watchword. Humility must be your lifestyle. And love must be your disposition. Love of everybody. Love of the brethren. Love of the unbeliever. Enough, enough to bring him to Christ. And finally, of course, more importantly, your love for God. Because you cannot obey God if you don't. In fact, obedience to God and the love of God are considered one and the same. Then we note also, the Bible says that the men that the sons of Eli would send to go and bring the offerings from the people would tell them that, look, if you don't allow me to do it as I'm commanded to do, as I'm told by my God to do it, I will take it from you forcefully. We have the same thing here. Ministers, so-called, are fleecing the people so that they can buy cars, so that they can buy private jets, so that they can build their own houses, so that they can furnish their houses with imported goods. I once saw, uh, watched a documentary speaking on the on the ills of the church, even though that was not how that was not how it was called, but that's what I saw. And this pastor was driving away from the ground of his meeting in a Homer, a Homer jeep, whilst you had the thousands of people who had come there thronging on foot, and he just drove past them as though he had nothing to do with them. May God have mercy on us. Today we are seeing pastors who are fleecing the flock, forcing people to bring things to God, making the name of God and merchandising in that name. May God show us mercy. It was in such an environment that Samuel was growing. Again, the Bible records, and I believe that would be verse 17. He said, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Because of the way Ministers are behaving when it comes to money matters. A lot of people are abhorrent of the, 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 the things of God, abhorrent of the work of God. In fact, people are now speaking against God and against His word. People are speaking as though God were fleecing people. And yet, that is not the God we are talking about. But it is the behavior of this pastor so-called that is causing the trouble. In Romans chapter 2 verse 24, Romans chapter 2 verse 24, the Bible says, Because of you, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. We are seeing people emboldened to speak against the work of God, emboldened to speak even against God, to ridicule as it were the name of God, because of the way ministers and their general overseers and general superintendents of bishops are behaving, contrary to the word of God. 
I've even heard people say, if Jesus were alive, he would hold a private jet. For who told you that? And of course, what they used to, to make that comment is the fact that Jesus, the Lord Jesus rode on a donkey, which they equated to what would have been like a private jet in his generation, in his time. And I want, to, I want them to note that number one, the donkey was not bought by the Lord. The donkey belonged to somebody. He merely used it. And once he dropped from that donkey onto the temple, he never went back. It's never recorded. He went back and rode on that donkey. Indeed, he walked back to Bethany where he slept that night. So where do we get this private jet ownership to equate to the Lord Jesus Christ? May God forgive us of the blasphemy that we are vomiting from our mouths. I pray that God will help us. Now, I want us to continue to read and this time around, we'll read from verse 22. We'll skip and go to verse 22 and read on to 26. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled in the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Let me pause here. Isn't this strange that the sons of Eli, the priests, were sleeping sexually with the women who came to the tabernacle to give their offerings? We see the same today. We've had reports, both of consensual sex and rape, involving pastors, deacons, the ministers of the gospel, and young ladies, and even married women in the church of God. And they still man the pulpit, and they can still preach. And what is sad, the Bible says here, that Eli heard. He was very old, but he heard. There's nothing I am saying now that general overseers don't know that general superintendents don't know, that bishops don't know, that senior pastors don't know. But because of the way they are behaving, they themselves are now complicit in the activities of these ministers. The Pentecostal Fellowship of Nigeria is there. They know, but they keep quiet. The Christian Association of Nigeria is there. They know, but they keep quiet. However, they will be the first to point the finger at the politicians and tell the politicians to run the government properly. But they cannot run the church properly. Why? Because they need the financial backing of these churches to continue to function. God have mercy on this people. Because the church is becoming a byword in our generation. Verse 23. So he, that is Eli, said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. It is possible that for all that has been said, those ministers continue to do what they have continued to do, because it has, God has purposed to destroy them. We will continue to intercede. We will continue to plead with God that he will give them opportunity to change before he will do what he needs to do. Because he will have to do it if they refuse to change. In verse 26, the Bible says, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. In spite of what was happening, Samuel continued to grow. Even though he was not yet spiritually mature, even though he had not been taught so many things, but he was just growing. He was growing gradually, growing gradually. What is sad about all of these things is that even though Eli heard, he did not bench his sons. He, they continued to minister at the altar of God. They continued to give a bad name to the work of God, to the work of ministry. People continued to do all these things 
and give God a bad name. Generally speaking, when things are as bad as this, we are wont to lift our hands up in there and say, there's no hope. Nothing can happen. This is not going to happen. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's finished. We would look at Samuel and say, nothing is going to happen to this guy. This guy is just going to be like one of them. But I have good news for you. If you are like a Samuel, that God will meet you at the point of need. When things are as bad as they are now in the church of God, that is when God seeks men he can speak to and tell things that will remedy the situation. In Genesis chapter 1, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, in verse 2, the Bible says that the earth was without form. Darkness covered the face of the deep and that there was chaos all over the place. But there was good news. The Spirit of God hovered over that chaotic matter. And it was just a matter of time in verse 3 that God spoke and said, Let there be light and there was light. And the work of recreation began. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And you will see this illuminating light. This wonderful thing that tells us there is still hope for the church of God. 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 3. But verse 3 is where we are going to. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was and while Samuel was lying down verse 4 that the Lord called Samuel and he answered here I am and of course we know the rest he ran to Eli said you called what is important there is verse 3 in verse 3 is that the Bible says before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. Now the lamp of God in the tabernacle of old was a figure of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the temple that brought illumination to the holy place so that the lamp God, God had given them so that it must never go out. So they continued to put oil and so that the lamp continued to burn. The only thing that happened was that in the morning they will now take out the wick because there will be black portions of the week so they will, they will trim that thing off so that the lamp can continue to burn better that's all they did in the morning but they never really the lamp never really went out it was when things went bad that the light was gone off and once the light went off God departed from that place because his glory could no longer be there so the good news is that the lamp of God continued to burn and as long as the lamp of God continued to burn, as the Spirit of God was hovering over chaotic matter, we know that it's just a matter of time before God will begin to speak. And so it was that God began to speak and God called Samuel. My brother and my sister, God is still speaking. Men may be confusing themselves and laying claim, saying that God is speaking, whereas what is speaking in them is their avarice, their greed, their covetousness, their idolatry, and other manifestations of the works of flesh, but God himself is speaking. But not through them. God is speaking, and he wants to speak to you directly. In Acts chapter 14, the Bible says that God did not leave himself without a witness. In every generation, God has always left for himself a witness. Today, God is seeking such people whom he's going to speak to directly and encourage to carry his word to the ends of the earth. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, Elijah had previously, before this, before verse 18, 
of 1 Kings chapter 19, complained that he was the only prophet and that people wanted to kill him. But eventually God told him that he has reserved in reserve 7,000 in that same nation of Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not yet kissed Baal. It was out of that 7,000 that God chose Elijah and told Elijah that Elijah will be prophet in your place. Go and bring him and make him prophet in your place. Of course, he taught him so many things. The same thing today. Where we think that there, there's nothing is happening, God is saying, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. I have people in the churches who have not followed those pathways of the people ahead of them. And if you are in such a church, I want to plead with you, don't follow them. Follow the word of God. I want to beg you, go and get your Bible and start reading your Bible. Understand what God is saying. And at the end of the day, you will know that God has something for you. The second thing I want us to note from that verse 3 is the fact that Samuel was sleeping close to the ark of God. The ark of God was basically the physical representation of the presence of God in the temple. Samuel was sleeping close to that. So there's hope for Samuel. He wasn't like the sons of Eli who were all over the place and isolated themselves from the God that they claimed to be serving. But Samuel was lying down close to the ark of the covenant. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, the Bible records that Moses would go into the temple, would speak to God, afterwards Moses would return to his own to his own tent. But Joshua, his assistant, would remain in the tabernacle. No wonder God chose him and God began to speak to him. It's the same thing. I want to encourage you. Stay close to God. No matter how bad, no matter how dark things are, stay close to God. I want to read a portion of the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 50, I believe it is, verse 10. The Bible says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of the servant, that is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. God is encouraging us. Stay there, hanging there. Stay with me and I will show you the things that I'm going to do. Just hang in there. Trust me. Depend on me. Rely on me. So yes, Samuel may have been a boy in ministry. He was growing up in the midst of what I can call a sacrilegious spiritual climate. A spiritual slum. But he had a hunger and thirst for God. He had a hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And so it was that God called him. Even though he did not know God, even though he had not been taught the word of God, even though he was a boy in ministry, he was spiritually immature, but because his heart was right towards God, God chose to call him. Brethren, I want you to know that ministry is much more than just serving in a local assembly. Ministry is more than carrying your pastor's Bible. Ministry is more than arranging crusades and other things. Ministry is about a personal relationship between you and God. The Lord Jesus called the, the, the 12 at one time. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, I think it's verse 14 and 15. He says after he had called them, he called them that they might be with him. That's number one. That they might be with him. They might come and have personal fellowship with him. 
They might get to know him more. Get to know what he stands for. And then that he might send them to preach. It is after you have had relationship with God that you can go and preach. And that he might empower them to cast out demons. It is after all of this that we are talking of casting out demons. It cannot be before. Today we are having people who are going on and on in ministry. And all they think of as far as ministry is concerned is the fame. Oh, I want to preach to 5 million people. And I want people to hear. People, and then we even have pastors, ministers, who preach and say, the world will know you. The world will hear your voice. And we become covetous. We become adventurous. Seeking all manner of things to do. Planning all kinds of things outside of what God has commanded. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, the Bible, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus says that it is not the calling of him, Lord, Lord. It is not about the prophesying. It is not about the preaching in his name. It is not about the casting out demons, of demons rather. It is not about the miracles and other things that people are doing. He said, no. What is important is that you are doing the will of God. I recall, I think the Bible tells us, I think it's in Mark chapter 6 or so, when the Lord Jesus had sent 70 out and they returned, rejoicing that demons were subject to them. The Lord said, fine, no problem. But do not rejoice that demons are subject to you. In this should you rejoice, that your names are written in the book of life. Your name is not going to be written in the book of life if you are not doing the will of God. How can you know the will of God when you have not heard God speak to you? And so God is still speaking and he's saying, who is listening? As we're speaking now, there are radio stations that are blaring. But if you don't have a radio and you are not tuned to the frequency of that particular radio, you will not hear what they are saying. But the radio stations are going on. It's the same thing. God is speaking. But are men tuned to the frequency of God? Are men listening to, for God? Are men in a position to hear when God is speaking? That is the question. Because of the degeneracy that is in our environment today, where everything, anything goes in the ministry, it is becoming more and more difficult to hear God speak. Many people will hear the voice of a man. We have discussed this before. And say it is God speaking. But it's just a man speaking from, the, from his belly. From his desire. But he couches it. He, he mentions Jesus now and again. Throws it around in a few sentences. And they say God is speaking. And then when God is actually speaking. They say no that cannot be God. Because there are things that God does not tolerate. People don't know. People don't even believe it. They think that God will accept anything. You can come to God as you are for salvation. But having been saved, you are not expected to remain the way you came. Indeed, when you get to the foot of the cross of Jesus, your sins are meant to drop off. So that as you go onto the other side of the cross, what you are faced next with is sanctification. Not carrying again into that portion the sins that you were engaging in prior to that time. But we have a situation where people continue in sin. No wonder the Bible asks, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? God forbid. How can we who have died to sin continue there again? How can we? When you go to church, you are expected to be taught that having been saved by God, that you are now to live a life of holiness, a life of righteousness, a life that is acceptable unto God, a life that is pleasing to God. I want you to understand one thing. That after you have been saved, if indeed 
you have been saved. Two key things you will observe is number one, you will develop a hatred for sin, even your own sin. You will look back on the things that you did and you will, you will, it was as, as if you want to tear your skin off. Because it was the fact that you recognized that you were a sinner that brought you to Christ. I know many people today who are going to Christ because they want a contract, they want healing for their sickness. They want one miracle or the other, but not because they recognize that they are sinners. And pastors are preaching these things, forgetting the real issue that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He did not come primarily to give you a job. He did not come to heal you primarily. No, he primarily came to deliver men from their sins. So if you have not confessed your sins, if you don't recognize that you are a sinner, what then were you saved from? The second thing after talk of hatred of sin is a strong desire for God. There is always that desire. I want to know this God that could save somebody like me. For some reason, the knowledge of salvation comes into you at that time. And there's a hunger for God. So I ask you, since you were saved, what is your desire for God like? What has it been like? Because I see people still desiring the world after they lay claim to the fact that they've been saved. How can that be? That is why we have a church, or churches rather, filled with people who look nothing like Jesus Christ. And God is still speaking. And is looking for those people whose desire, like Samuel's, like Joshua's, is strong for his presence. The people who desire him, when David sinned against God, one of the prayers that David prayed in, in Psalm 51 is that do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Don't let your presence depart from me. Even Moses said, don't let your presence depart from me. But we find people who don't mind if God is not there, as long as they get what they want, a car, a house, a, a business, a wife, children, and so on and so forth. Today, God is looking for those who are aggrieved by the present situation we find ourselves in the church of God. People who have been crying to God, interceding and saying, Lord, look at how the church is. Do something, please. Some of them may not even know that God is interested in them. They're just grieved when they go to church. How can this be the church? You see women going to church naked and they say, it's God they are worshiping. You see men going to church with pride and arrogance and they say it's God they are worshipping. And there are people in those congregations who are grieved and they are wondering, Lord, how long is this going to continue? And sometimes they get angry here, they go to, they, you know, get upset rather, go to another church, they see the same, they go to another church, so this is them, after a while they just say, look, am I going to stop going to church? But I need to be in church. God is looking for you. God wants to speak to you. Today you are hearing the voice of God. I am sure you will hear the voice of God. It's calling you. You know, God called Elisha through Elijah. He just said, go and Elijah just went and threw his mantle upon Elisha. And Elisha understood. Why? I am sure Elisha must have been having private fellowship with God. So he just ran to Elijah and said, please, let me go and bid them farewell at home. Elijah said, what have I done to you? I didn't did call you. I didn't do anything. He said, sorry, sir, but let me go home quickly and say goodbye. He went, ended that business transaction, his business, folded it up, turned everything down, sold it away, and went and served the same thing we find in the story of Saul, Samuel, and David. Saul had sinned against God. God had said, I'm through with, with, with Saul. And told Samuel, I want you to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king in place of Saul. When Samuel got to the home of Jesse, he saw grown-ups. And as they stood before him, God was telling him, this is not the one, this is not the one. Seven of them walked by and God said, none of them. So he, Samuel turned to Jesse and said, ah, do you have another child? He said, oh, that was a very small boy. 
They said, well, go and call him. He says, in the field, go and call him. When David came, he was a small boy of a ruddy countenance. God said to Samuel, this is he, anoint him. How? Why? Because David had a hunger for God. David said when he encountered Goliath one day, shortly after he had been anointed, he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like the lion and the bear that God delivered me from while I was taking care of the sheep. That was the first time we heard that David had actually had such an encounter before. He, was, he had a desire for God and God had helped him out. And he had seen that God had helped him out. If your desire and hunger for God is strong, if it is great, I have good news for you. God will meet you at the point of need. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, say, They that do hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Are you desirous of fellowship with God? You'll be filled. Are you hungry for God? You'll be filled. Do you desire the presence of God? You will get it. Beloved, God is still speaking. The question really is, are you listening? Are you in the place where you can listen? You need a quietness, the place where you can be quiet with God, removed from the noise of ministry. A place where you and God can communicate. Maybe you don't even know that God is speaking to you, and yet God has been speaking to you. It is time, like Samuel, to get to the place where you can say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We've said earlier, many broadcasts back, that God can speak to you through dreams. He can speak to you through an audible voice. He can speak to you by an impression in your heart. He can speak to you in a small, in a still small voice. In whatever form God is going to speak, he is not going to deviate from what he has written in the Bible. Which is why I always encourage people, read your Bible every day. One sure way by which God speaks is by is through his written word as documented in the Bible. Any page that you open to, I'm not saying to just carelessly open, I mean prayerfully open to, God will speak to you. God will give you a message for yourself, a message for the world from that passage of scripture. But you must make the Bible your companion. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the paraclete, a friend that is closer to you than any other thing. He is next to you. So you have the Holy Spirit to discuss with. Or perhaps you're listening to this broadcast and you have never really recognized yourself as a sinner. But as you're listening to this, it is dawning on you that you have been living a life of sin even though you go to church. I want to plead with you. All God requires of you is recognize that you're a sinner who needs a savior. And that that savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go to God in prayer. However you want to say it, say it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I didn't recognize it, but today I know, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I know now that I need Jesus more than any other thing. Please come and save my soul. Come and deliver me from sin and a sinful life. Help me to begin to walk as I ought to before you. Save me. Break the stranglehold of whatever addictions are in my life. And help me to begin to walk with you. I want to guarantee you one thing. If you do that, from the surgery of your heart, God will give you his Holy Spirit who will begin to lead and guide you. And you will know without a shadow of doubt that God is now speaking to you. And as God is speaking to you, as long as you are doing what he tells you to do, for example, he will say to you, don't go and visit that fellow. Don't, don't keep company with so-and-so person. As long as you are doing that, you have no problems with God. I guarantee you one thing, you will hear God more and more. 
speak to you. But if while he's speaking to you, they are acting contrary, then you are diminishing the tendency of God speaking to you. I plead with you. I counsel with you. I beseech you. Seek the face of God. Prayer in studying his word. Fellowship with the brethren. It doesn't have to be in a big church. It can just be a small cell meeting. Fellowship with the brethren. Seek people who are like-minded, who are also hungry for God. Not people who are satisfied. Look for people who are hungry for God. People who are dissatisfied with the present state. The appalling, present appalling state of the church. Meet. Intercede for them. Pray. And very soon, we'll hear God speak to you. And until we meet, God bless you.